0: Welcome to Solution Focused Possibilities Podcast. We want to help you have more productive conversations in whatever area of work or life you find yourselves in. What better way to do that than to invite you into our own conversations as we discuss our Solution Focused practice, our different experiences and findings. We hope you find this helpful, useful and inspiring. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Money.
0: How are you guys doing on this bank holiday weekend? Well, that doesn't feel like it does
2: it really, but no. Yeah, no, good. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Got lots to do in the garden, around the house, DIY stuff, as always. Any exciting projects, Greg? Building anything crazy? Um, uh, uh, yes. My Henry wants to build a. We saw something online where it was like an old wooden ladder. Oh, yeah. But then they put in like these shelves across like the steps kind of thing. And then like you put all your plants and and things on it. So he's like, I want to make that. (laughs) We don't have an old wooden ladder though. (laughs) So I'm, yeah, I've got to go rummaging around to find some old bits of wood, which thankfully I have lots of. And yeah, try and fashion something together.
1: Is Henry going to help with the whole process?
2: Hopefully. He'll help for a bit. He tends to kind of dip in and then dip out and want to go do something else, and then when there's <laughs> a power tool involved, it's, I want to yep. use the drill. I want to use the
0: drill. Ooh. And you're there as a parent desperately trying to encourage but also worried that it could chop your fingers off.
3: Yes.
2: Yes. Try, try and have that. This this is not a toy. At
3: what age do you allow a child to use, like, a power drill for the first time?
2: Um, well, it... <laughs> this is recording but he, he's used one already but with, with support <laughs> and <supervision>. oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, just for
3: the sake of the listeners greg how old is
2: he yeah uh how old is he now he's gonna be six next month fantastic so technically still five but yeah my my hands were still on the drill
1: <laughs> well done well done
3: <laughs> old, oh, wielding a powered drill what a thought with, with supervision
0: with supervision <laughs> any power
1: he can tell all his friends about his superpowers.
3: No, knowing you, though, Greg, the supervision you provided was probably solution-focused supervision. So you're probably... Henry, what are your best hopes from holding this power drill? What do, what do you think this might lead to? A hospital trip.
0: <laughs> Any power tools for you this weekend, Bieber?
1: Barbecue. Barbecue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Lovely. in the
1: garden
3: a vegetarian barbecue yeah halloumi
1: and stuff oh, nice what nice about stuff. you ben me yeah
3: it's my uh it's my granddad's birthday and now i'm now i'm frantically trying to remember exactly how old he is because i think that's probably going to be your next question um how old is he ben somewhere so, <laughs> <laughs> so between 85 and 90. Uh, well 85 and 89 because <laughs> It was ninety. I know about it. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm going to try and um, safely wave at him from a distance.
0: Yeah. I think when on. you get to that age, though, you can get away with not knowing the like. There's not a lot of cards that's like eight, your 86th birthday. Yeah. You kind of get
3: away yeah. with not knowing it, can't you? Maybe that's a challenge for me uh, this afternoon. You know, try and find a card like that.
1: Oh.
3: And then and then I'll get him an 86 one and find out he's 87. Yeah.
1: You know, it's so funny. I've got a grandma of 95 and my mum is 75. And when my mum complains, say, about back pain, mm. my grandmother looks at her and says, You know, you're still a child. Mm. <laughs>
0: so, today, uh, seeing as we're going to be talking a bit about the coronavirus and around that, how, we, how have you guys been coping with it in terms of kind of the lockdown? Because this is now, what, eight weeks ish? So, Ben, your, your work, you've still been going in, haven't you? You've been doing a lot of
3: – you haven't been stuck in the house in the same way. No, I haven't been stuck in the house in the same way. So I've sort of still been deemed a key worker uh, just about in, in a couple of different jobs. Um, so I've been going out at least at least twice a week. Um, you know, I'll, one, one day into the, into the office and then uh, another day patrolling the streets of Luton at night checking on the welfare of people who are out and about um so yeah that's been that's i'll be honest it's helped me in terms of just being out in the car and driving around and walking around and uh, chatting to other people um you know other than that i mean i personally i think there was probably four weeks where i was you know coping perfectly well with it and then there seemed to be a moment where it was like oh this is actually really tough um i've probably done enough quizzes for a lifetime i think i've been doing sort of three quizzes online quizzes a week and just god oh, never want to do one again oh. um, i think out you know outdoor space is really crucial so just getting outside uh making mm-hmm. the most of green space yeah
0: so Bibi, have you been exploring the green space around you i've seen some instagram stuff have you been stuck where you are as well, well mainly. Uh,
1: as the lockdown started, the whole Europe basically shuts down. So I used to work, say 90% of my work was traveling and going places yeah. and international projects, um, which have all been cancelled or postponed, uh, mainly to 2021. So all of a sudden, I was left without any work. Um, and... Yeah. And that kept me in, obviously. But um, on the other hand, it was a chance of something new being born. So I was surprised to see that it didn't affect me as much as it could given the news and the uncertainty because we didn't know what the future would bring when the lockdown might come down, if ever. Um, And if traveling is gonna go back to normal or is it the beginning of something that's the new normal. Mm. Um, And like Ben, yeah, I did start note. I have started noticing lately that I miss my work. Um, so it's a process. But on the other hand, so many new things emerged that are to be grateful for.
0: Mm. Do you have any idea or any indication about travel and stuff when that's going to be going back to um, anything similar to what was before?
1: I don't think it's gonna be similar to what was before, let alone mm. the prices of the plane tickets have doubled or tripled sometime because of the distance that they need to keep and those rules that they need to follow mm. um but as it seems now, the continental Europe is opening and returning back to somehow normal in September um, yeah but on the other hand everyone is sort of anticipating the second wave so yeah. it's gonna be um interesting times yeah well yeah. the uk is still sort of behind but of course we're mm. not admitting that are we <laughs> <laughs>
0: no we're british we, we do all right greg how about you you've had the um parenting stuff to deal with as well haven't you over this period just to make things interesting
2: yeah yeah it's it's been a big a big mix i would say because on some levels i'm absolutely loving it because i am more of probably an introvert than, than anything else like i love being sociable and stuff um but i also don't mm-hmm. mind a bit of time to myself a bit of headspace to kind of yeah just have for me um but yeah i think having to with nurseries and schools shut even despite <clears throat> being key workers we kind of made the decision we don't want to yep. send our children in so it's kind of mean dividing time between my wife and i to to kind of handle childcare duties and, and looking mm-hmm. after the kids and keeping them occupied with kind of new and exciting things yeah. and, you know with each passing day because they yeah. get bored of the same thing over and over again um but at the same time it's it's meant a lot less time commuting so i'm, I'm around for you know morning times and I'll, you know Dinner and bedtime routines, mm. and you know everything in between. So, I'm getting to spend a lot more time with them. Yeah, which is always, always good. And oh, I'm also no. taking up running again, which I haven't done for like s- six years. So, I'm waking up at like six a.m. You know, every other day just to get out and go. Oh. You know, run a quick a, kind a of three quick miles three miles. And, I'm not sure yeah. those two
0: words work together in my in my mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's very impressive. Well, it, it's quick in my head. Yeah, it's it's quick in my head to yeah. listening to music and stuff like that, but I think for me, yeah, it's just it. Yeah, it's just that time and space. I was somebody, my, my wife, just, Louise. She asked me, she mm. goes, "Do you actually enjoy <laughs> running?" And I was like, "Well, yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I don't think I would do it if I didn't enjoy it." But why? It's <laughs> like, but like, <laughs> why? Why do you enjoy it? Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah, and I just I think it's that weird that weirdness of like you you have to focus on like staying alive and breathing and not like falling over so you can't think of anything else <laughs> so it just focuses your brain to just yeah i don't like, think you stole running really.
3: particularly well there greg <laughs> <laughs> so why is running so enjoyable well just focus Definitely. on not falling over all the time brilliant yeah yeah i, th- I think it's a great i don't know if i'm skipping ahead here David, but i think it's so important like the point greg raised about Having that headspace and the time mm. space as well. Um, I mean, if we're thinking about the lockdown, sort of generally, I think there's a, there's a narrative at the moment that's that I've started to notice appear in in like mainstream media, in the newspaper headlines, um, and in conversations with other professionals and uh, management thing, which is this this narrative of like there's going to be a tsunami of mental health issues. Mm. There's going to be this wave. Of mental health limits and an issues when lockdown is over, because um, you know people are going to be struggling so much. And I think one of the things I've seen um, in the papers is that uh, the sort of no- the referrals for mental health providers currently are lower than normal. So the assumption is, well, people aren't accessing mental health services because they can't get to them or whatever. Um, so people are going to be bottling this stuff up, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and then mm-hmm. lockdown will end and it will just be this awful chaos like mental health or um, And it just made me think like that's a really, um, that's really sort of almost narrow view. It's one way of viewing that situation. Mm-hmm. And like Greg's saying, actually, for some people, okay, not everyone, but for some people, perhaps this sort of headspace and this time and space um, will actually allow them to tap into their own, you know, their own resilience, their own resources and to have actually figured some of that stuff out themselves, Mm. Um, you know, and there's, so there's another way of looking at it, which is, well, actually when lockdown finishes, maybe a whole bunch of people are going to come out of this more resilient than they were before. I think that's just something that's, yeah, that's a narrative that's, that's running at the moment. Um, And I think the solution focused view on that is probably quite different um, from the mainstream narrative at the moment.
1: Yeah, and that's a really, really good point that you're making there. I was just reading some reports from China because now the studies have been sort of completed and the reflections have been done. And many of them are anticipating this PTSD effect up to three years after. Uh, and that was sort of overlook the resilience that people might have built during and not asking about it and just sort of anticipating that it's all going to come after us. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't, however, overlooking and anticipating and putting people in the narrative of, oh, well, the worst is yet to come is um, probably not the most useful way to go forward collectively as a society.
0: So would you say that the solution focused approach then is, is a a much more optimistic view on things in general, would you say?
1: I
2: I don't know if I'd go saying optimistic. I think we we see hope definitely with, within things. Um, and, and we always look for, for opportunities with hope. I think one of the biggest challenges is is being mindful, I think, of, of our assumptions and like what we go into a conversation with, because I think for some people it's like Ben saying and that and Biba with that narrative of, of what's what we expect is coming. And actually if, if we said to somebody like you just asked the three of us You know how are we doing basically at the moment and some people will say i'm really struggling so a conversation more around how are you coping how are you managing is useful whereas for other people they're going to say actually this has been great because it's meant i don't have to go to that job that i don't like and i can spend some more time at home doing other things i want to do and you know i'm going to leave this bit of my old life and i'm going to start doing kind of newer things in in my new life kind of thing once all Mm -hmm. this stuff resolves itself so i think it's it's trying to maintain a bit of a, I suppose a neutral stance, t- so that you can kind of still see the possibilities, and while still acknowledging that yeah, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging. But not having that blind yeah. sort of yeah optimistic thinking.
3: I mean, to to give it a practical example of that, you know, so I um, I'm still delivering a lot of. Solution-focused sessions, you know, over over the telephone via video call and that sort of stuff. Um, and I have numerous clients, young people, um, who are actually in the best sort of place um, mentally. They've been for a long time, and one of the major reasons for that is that a huge amount of their anxieties and stress was caused by school.
0: Mm. And guess mm.
3: what? School isn't on at the moment, so actually they're feeling a lot more relaxed, they're feeling a lot more calm, they're able to have that head space to think about other things. Um, you know, I'm hearing a lot, of people, a lot of young people start to get more excited about their future, And it's mm-hmm. almost like they've had this time and space to actually you know, consider that in a, in a way that maybe they haven't before, and to really start um, thinking in depth about what is it that I wanna do in one, two, three years time? Rather than just constantly battling school and exams, but actually being able to step back and have that space to think forward. Mm. Um, so Greg's absolutely right. It's not about being optimistic, but it's about um, trying to see, trying to see the hope in the situation as well, and, and looking for that. Um, and I think you know we would we would hope and um, argue that we're trying to get a more sort of a balanced view of what's going on rather than letting these assumptions sort of cloud our, our view and our judgment before we even start talking to someone.
0: That's great. I mean so so what's the what's their perspective, Ben, those people you're talking about? I'm just thinking around the whole school thing. I mean at some point we imagine things will go back to might not be exactly the same, but I assume they'll be back in school at some point. Mm. Um if things just return kinda of to normal Is that the point where things are going to become very difficult again? If we've had this, this break time to think, uh, school is not an issue anymore, but in reality, they're going to be going straight back into that environment again. Um, what's the kind of perspective on that?
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, so to start with, there are a number of clients for whom they were in either year 11 or year 13. So it was their last year of schooling. Um, so for them, they're sort of getting excited about um, actually, what am I, what am I going to go into next? And actually, they don't have the prospects of of returning to school. Okay, um, so that's one group. Um, I remember, for example, um, having a recent session where the phrase that the the lad was using was about um, his hopes were to be mentally ready, um, and so for, for him it was about joining the navy. That was what he decided he wanted to go and give a go. So our sessions have become about how he would know he was mentally ready for for joining the army. Um, in terms of those who do have to go back to school, again, it's about not um, placing a negative assumption that you know that's going to be super difficult and um, you know a disaster for them, mm. because it might be that you know having you know someone who's had time and space to reflect on maybe what they really wanted go and do in life and try in the next few years you know, maybe one um spin off of that is that when they do return to school um they're gonna have more of a a goal in mind more of a vision of where they want to get to and, mm. and that sort of hoped for uh, future will be enough to help them have a different perspective on school and uh, and sort of get through it in the in the best way possible um, Yeah. Of course, you know, there will be people for whom um it is really tricky returning. I, I think the point that we're making here is is not to assume, you know, not yeah. to assume that all, all young people returning to school are gonna find this really tough. Um, but actually to um to hold that balance view, to keep hope in mind and resilience as well, you know, to hold that. Uh, reminder that actually a lot of young people are, are super resilient mm-hmm. and they might have found some uh, some wonderful new things during this lockdown time that they can take forward with them
1: so a lot of on that building on that would depend on how professionals welcome them back and what sort of yeah. questions they ask them for instance uh, when you ask someone with the assumption that something's have been tough and not going well that would reflect in how you address them and then that sort of answers is that you're going to get uh, yeah. so having that space for professionals to rethink how they might bring out hope, resilience um, f- future aspirations with, from young people might be worth considering
2: yeah that's a really good mm. point point. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think about that from a a school standpoint because we might be quickly or soon kind of sending henry back into school and i think i can imagine some of his teachers doing sort of well teacher doing some activities with him around things and you know others in the classroom around like what is it you've been doing like they'd be curious to know like what is it you've been doing over the past you know eight weeks where you haven't come in like tell us about all of those things like and you know while doing that they're getting them to practice their handwriting and their spelling and all the things that Mm. they're still learning and yet it's through an activity that invites a a celebration of things um you know what if what's the most fun thing you've done over the past few weeks that sort of thing um Mm. and either bringing something in you know as they often do with like show and tell or you know so little things like that from a primary school standpoint i would imagine would have a, a massive impact on on young children to be able to just yeah. Celebrate some of those things.
1: Well, actually to all of us really, isn't it? Celebrating new emerging practices, habits. Of course, not uh, neglecting all the distress that has been going on, especially for those who have lost someone due to Corona. Uh, however, you don't have to stop your life um, because something like that has happened. There, There is always something to celebrate, isn't it?
3: I mean, I'll, I'll just... Give two really quick examples, Jamie, that's come mm-hmm. to mind of how you can sort of view the change your perspective. So, so one that comes to mind is the the homeschooling stuff, which has been again another hot topic. And, and one way of viewing that is, you know, all these young people will have missed out on so much education and learning because their parents have been struggling with the homeschooling. Yeah. Another perspective on the same thing would be to say you know what? There's probably loads of parents out there now who are way more in tune with their kids learning and education than they were before. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the long term, that's gonna be hugely beneficial. So, you know, when the children start bringing homework um, home and that sort of stuff, maybe parents are gonna be able to respond to that way, you know, way better than they were before. So we're looking at the same thing, but we're viewing it from different perspectives, different angles. Um, You know, another one, another really simple one is, um, you know, my partner, for example, she's a, a teacher, so she's had um, you know been working from home a lot. One view on that is, uh, she's had all this time on her hands and she's become you know quite bored. Another angle is she's taken up painting and drawing, and she'd never done that before, and she's getting quite good at watercolor painting. And, you know, and maybe that's mm. something that she'll continue, she'll take forward. It's something she finds relaxing, something that helps her get in a good headspace. And maybe that will benefit, you know, the the kids in her class when she gets back to teaching again, uh, mm-hmm. because she's in a better headspace because she's been water, you know, watercolour painting and, and taking that forward. So we're looking at the same instances, the same situations, but you can view them from different angles. Yeah, um, and it's about not assuming that the sort of negative uh, perspective, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to that just from the, the way that the lockdown has been affected affected me in terms of I don't know if you guys have, have felt the pressure to make this time really productive I don't know if you guys have felt that there's definitely been this thing um, I guess social media has played a big part of that people have been doing these really amazing things uh, during this time and especially when it comes to like the creative industry people that photographers filmmakers and things some of the stuff that people have been able to do in this time is amazing um, and I definitely for quite a long time felt that I'd really wasted the time that I'd had because I hadn't been doing any of these really creative things because I've been parenting and trying to do all that kind of stuff um, but just that change of mindset to say yes I haven't done some of those things but what I have done is spent more time with the children than I ever have before mm-hmm. and what a positive thing that is in itself so just the shift like say in mindset
3: is yeah.
2: really important no, absolutely. I think that the difference between looking at, at what you have done rather than what you haven't done is is something mm. that, that is massive. And I think it's especially from my standpoint of when you are doing parenting and you, you look back on a day and think of how much you've done, it's like mm-hmm. it's mind blowing. But generally at the end of the day, for me I'm I'm exhausted. So I d I don't have the, <laughs> the energy or the headspace to really think about it because I just think yeah. okay, can I sit down now? Mhm. Yeah but it, yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is amazing to look back and actually realise how much you have done probably over the past mm-hmm. eight weeks so I guess there is a temptation
0: as a society to try to get back to normal um, but is there also a responsibility that we've got to to really carefully think about what of that normal we actually want to go back to like, do you think we've all got a bit of a responsibility to be quite intentional about the things that we try to carry on from this experience that we've had rather than just to want to replicate what we had before.
1: Well, it seems that we have been given a chance to do so, if we wanted mm. to, um, not saying that many people would, not saying that many people wouldn't, but it's definitely the whole world has paused. It hasn't happened before. Um, it's certainly a very mm. interesting time to be alive uh, and with a lot of possibilities. And when people are ready to decide how they want to live, uh, and reflect on what has happened they will do it um, without depressing but if, uh, if we don't talk about those possibilities that could emerge um, as you said most people wouldn't take the time and space to rethink and mm. life would just keep passing by and now when life is passing by maybe sl- at slower pace this could be a chance for us to rethink and uh, elicit the glimmers of good, which is a term that we all like, um, and take it forward if we want to. Study.
0: I mean, can we take a moment to think about this glimmers of good thing you've just referenced, which is a lovely link, thank you, Bieber. Into, <laughs> into a resource that you guys have been working on and have released relatively recently? Um Because I, I guess now that the lockdown is starting to ease, I guess depending on when people are listening to this, um, the ways that we have conversations are shifting slightly.
3: I mean, I'll... I'll just speak a little bit about where it um, where it originated from and then mm. maybe Greg can sort of uh, talk a bit about the, the technicalities but I mean I mean this idea of glimmers of good came from um, a conversation a solution focused conversation um, and I think that is historically that is the way that solution focused has always worked and always developed it was created through trial and error um, you yeah, know if you think to uh into Kimberg's miracle question that came out of a conversation with a client with someone um, and this phrase glimmers of goods was the same so can you decide what's the
0: miracle question for people uh, that
3: don't know so sure so miracle question so if a miracle happens uh, tonight whilst you're asleep and all the problems that brought you here are solved what's the first thing you notice tomorrow morning yeah it's not it's not a question that we typically use these days um, but this one is quite well known and okay. circles um so in terms of oh no oh
0: no we' going so well <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't have had two weeks on the trot that worked so well so this is bound to happen at some point come back to us Ben stay away from the light. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do we remember where, we, where he stopped? He was just explaining the use of miracle question changing.
2: He was, I think, yeah, just about to get into, he was saying that, like, as the miracle question came out of you know, a natural sort of session, because someone had said, you know, they couldn't think about the future. It was a struggle. It was difficult. And they said, well, it would take a miracle for things mm-hmm. to get better and for things to change. And so Ensu just said, well, OK, so suppose a miracle happened. And then yep. the question was kind of further developed from there, and I think that's where the <clears throat> this glimmers of good phrase has come from. Was It was a session that Ben had, and it was around, you know, just talking about, I think, the challenges that someone was facing, and they, they threw in this comment of, but there are some glimmers of good. And so Ben being Ben kind of latched onto it and said... You know, tell me what what are these like? List them for me, and then the more he explored them, it was I think around again spending more time with family and um, uh, what were the other ones that he said? It was, I think it was similar to kind of yeah, just taking up new things, working a little bit differently, you know, all those types Mm -hmm. of things. It was that yeah, all of the differences, and that's that's where it came from to to then want to amplify that conversation even more in terms of. How have you made those changes? What you know? What have the, the impacts been on you and and those people around you? And yeah, what what are the bits that you'd want to see growing as as time goes on?
1: Mm-hmm. So that
2: whole notion of these these are glimmers at the moment, and if you were growing those even more, then how would you know? What would be some of the signs? That and it kind of links back to what we were talking about earlier. I think Jamie, when you were saying mm-hmm. yeah, that that responsibility people have, or the intentions of which bits do you want to carry forward in terms of shaping mm-hmm. whatever comes next? Yeah.
1: So then uh, we have seen this sort of shift in language that we use in sessions. While uh, Whilst at the beginning of the lockdown, people were coping with it, managing best they could. And then all of a sudden, there were glimmers of good, which had the potential to grow if we asked about it. So mm-hmm. we realized that. And um, this resource that we're talking about is sort of um, pointing at that shift in language, inviting people to uh, describe creations, so growth. So from coping to creating. And mm-hmm. we have put together a PDF with an exercise where people can try it out um, to sort of notice this shift in language and the possibilities that the one asking questions has into uh, where the conversation would go. And that's pretty yeah. significant at this stage of lockdown, isn't it? Because uh, as we mm-hmm. were talking about earlier, Professionals welcoming kids, young people back. If they ask them certain questions, they'll get certain answers. But if they decide to ask different questions, different answers might have a chance to surface.
0: Yeah, can I ask you about the, the shift in language thing? Because that sounds like within the solution-focused approach, language is, is key. It's like one of the most important things is the, the words you choose to use. To some people, that might not sound like a big deal. But just the, the way that we choose a word over another word... Could you explain a bit about why that is so important
2: yeah i think it's for me it's <clears throat> it changes the one word can change the meaning of of a question kind of straight away um and i think it it implies different things so if we say for instance if if someone going back to to the glimmers of good if we said to someone i don't know what's what's a good a good phrase so normally we would say something like what might you notice and and that would tell you you're growing these glimmers of good and if we said something different around what do you need to do to make those glimmers of good grow then that that's different because then that places a bit of a of a task and an action plan on these are now things that there's an expectation you have to go and do them and if you don't do them that will mean you haven't succeeded with things. And so if we say, what might you notice, then it's about looking out for these little signs that would tell people they're, they're, they're growing them. Um, and it allows for for the uncertainty of life, really. And you know as, as much as change is happening so quickly now, that's something I th- the solution-focused approach has always been adaptable around because that's been one of those assumptions from the start is that the change is constant. And I think for me have, leaving that open for people means that you might think when we're talking now this is something I want to go and do more of. But then when things change tomorrow or on the first of June or whenever life changes and you think actually I'm not going to be able to do that but what I could do instead maybe is this and that would still tell me I'm, I'm growing those things. So that's a bit of a long-winded explanation probably about it um, but it's that, that difference between. What do you, what do you need to do, versus what would you notice is yeah is something that is is massive. And it feels a lot
0: lighter, if I can use that word on on the on the I know perhaps client isn't necess, isn't necessarily the term you'd use, but the person you're working with. It sounds like there's a much there's less pressure on them to achieve a certain thing. Uh, the background that I had obviously is was in like the class classic kind of counselling stuff where it was around here's here's where you want to get to long-term goal here that like, here are like the individual steps that you need to do to get there um which for some people that's can be a helpful thing but for majority of people that feels like that's that's a lot of pressure then to to achieve certain things within a time frame
2: yeah and it, it, um, attached to that for me is that that notion of your like clear marks of success or failure mm. and so like you say with that that pressure comes that bit of well maybe i'm not good enough if i'm not getting to this step or there's something wrong with me because i can't obtain Mm -hmm. you know get past this step whereas actually if we just trust people and leave it to them to make their own decisions around what constitutes progress then it's going to be more fluid more kind of yeah successful because they get Mm -hmm. to they get to choose it
1: And that's, so we were referring to the pressure earlier uh, of productive times, or maybe even the pressure that now that we have a chance to rethink our new normal. Uh, and we said that some people would, some people wouldn't. Asking about those possibilities with the might language and uh, the noticing language, it's interesting. It's very interesting because it seems that the more lose you leave it, the more likely it becomes that people actually do some of the things that they have listed. And another thing that's very, very important here is that the one asking questions about those signs, or steps, or plans, or hopes, or future um, is insignificant because whatever the person has said uh, stays with them. So it's their content, it's their idea of possible signs moving forward, and if they do some of it, they get the credits for doing it, not because somebody asked them, what are your next steps that you're going to mm. do and what do you need to do to get there?
2: Yeah. I so if be, there all Go on, Greg. I was going to say, I want to I be slightly argumentative about that, Beaver.
0: Go yes. on, Yes, but... here we go.
2: Not, not in the sense of like, we should take the credit, but I think we don't want to lose sight of like, we bring in expertise in terms of on, on asking questions and managing a conversation and managing a process. So we kind of yeah, I suppose we all we all know that. And we, but we don't want to as you're saying we, within our questions, we don't want to steal that from the person we're talking with to say, you know, what did you what did you think I did best or what did you think you know were my best questions that I asked you? You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll still ask things like, you know, what are you most pleased about that you've been doing and things like that so they are and how they've managed to do that definitely. Um, but i suppose a lot of times people wouldn't get there and and't answer those questions and talk about it unless we're asking them those questions so maybe just a little bit of a slight difference there in that sense of yeah they definitely should celebrate their successes and i don't think we should do sight of yeah we, we play a, a small part hopefully insignificant but we're still doing mm. something intentional with with our conversation
0: yeah i mean there is definitely an expert to it because I mean some of the some of the ways you ask questions that's not an easy thing just to do off the top of your head like you know no, no. I when are we talking here about we're just letting the other the, the client or the person we work and we do a lot of the work but there is still a lot of work <laughs> behind the scenes of trying to yeah ask the right questions it's not easy and no. some of the things that you ask are just very subtle changes uh, but make a massive difference
2: yeah, yeah. I mean I, I can think be, but when we had those um, um, conversations, like when we, whenever we prepare for a training and we, we mm. put an exercise together, you think, oh that, yeah. You know, when you look at it, you think, oh that, yeah, that's easy enough. That's simple enough. That probably took them five minutes. and it, <laughs> it probably took us more like forty-five minutes because yeah, the times we go back and forth, and one of us will say, oh, I don't like that word. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't like the way you phrase that. Mm, maybe we could try this. Maybe we could try that. And it, yeah, it's a very intentional fun fun process i think as well
0: i can testify to that when i've been around you guys before <laughs> trainings <laughs> where it's like hang on i'm not quite sure that that word works and then we'll have a full-on conversation about a single word um <laughs> but the different the difference is really important mm. it doesn't make a massive difference um ben is back we hello. had a frozen ben for a while hello <laughs> welcome oh, yeah. we've just gone I'm on and answered sad, the question anyway Um, so i mean when we when we're talking practically then about the lockdown about coronavirus about some of these things we've been talking about um i don't know if you want to want to reference the resource or just go ad lib a little bit but what are some of the practical things that people could do um in the way that they communicate with people around them just to help people think more about hope uh, possibilities
2: and just coping I mean I suppose for me I don't know what you guys think but for me there's, there's that notion of just be mindful of, of what you're assuming because like even though something mm. like I think we talked about like initially it was coping and now it's kind of there of good but there might still be people on that journey where actually they were doing really well at the start and now all of a sudden it's more about coping so I suppose mm. it's just that bit around like checking in with people first and then you know, being able to have those opportunities to to have kind of both directions to go. As in like, you know, how are you getting through this? Like what's helping you, you know, do home learning with with your kids? Because it's it's driving me nuts at times and I know there are some days I don't do it. Like how do you mm. make those choices and how do you keep trying the next day and you know, all those kinds of things. So I think it's it's knowing knowing both ways you could go with it really, or at least a couple of ways. And yeah, definitely in terms of that resources we have on on our teachable site that people can access would be something that i think would be good for for a lot of people to have
1: yeah and as you said we've got a lot of um, time and space or more time and space for thinking and which could be potentially good thing or potentially it could be overthinking which could lead to um, negative thoughts and such and uh, it might be worth if people find themselves thinking certain things or feeling certain feelings to ask themselves what's useful, uh, what's useful for them and if they recognise that something's not working for them, uh, allow themselves to think about what might be a more useful thought or more useful feeling without the pressure that they actually need to do it. Uh, Because I think that what that does is... um, It allows a person to see that they've got a choice without the pressure that they need to be different or they need to be feeling differently. And then all the Instagram and videos and tips and tricks. Um, So sort of to have a choice to decide what might be the most useful way for an individual to have um, better time.
3: I think that's so, like what Biba's just said there about, about choices is so important, and um, you referenced it earlier, Jamie, when you were talking about, um, do we need to intentionally be doing these new things when lockdown ends and intentionally throwing ourselves into new stuff? And you also referenced how you'd know you you'd been comparing yourself to what other people were doing and starting to feel a bit rubbish about it. Um, one of the thing, key points is to remove that pressure, and solution-focused is not about advice giving. And it's one of the hardest things for people to grasp when they start trying to use this, be that as a professional or be that as, you know, just someone who's trying to have helpful conversations. You know, it's not about advice giving, it's about an invitation. That's what we often use, the questions are inviting people to explore possibilities. And we're, we're never gonna sort of um, advise people on what we think they should do, and we're never gonna hold them to uh, an action plan or anything that they say. The questions are just an invitation into thinking about different possibilities you know so so if someone for example says you know what well, during lockdown um i found you know going for a run every day really helpful for me okay. we're not going to sit there and suggest well maybe you should keep doing that then we're going to invite them to explore so um you know what have been the, the benefits of that? How have you managed to get yourself to keep running every day? And uh, what might be the signs moving forward uh, that you are still you know, reaping the benefits of that? But it's an invitation mm. to explore rather than advice giving. That's one of the key things. Yeah. A
0: couple of questions there, Ben. Mm. Um, well, anyone else. Um, two things that just sprung to mind. Uh, one, one is that, is, is pressure, we, we're talking about taking the pressure off of people uh, making it a bit lighter and stuff Uh, so the first thing is is pressure always a bad thing Um, could we get to a place if we're not careful of just leaving it so up in the air that people never act on it Um, and then then secondly you talk about when we don't give advice is there ever a responsibility for you guys in a in a in a conversation if you can clearly see something that is going to be beneficial for someone or equally there's really obviously something they're doing that is harming them or, or is not helpful do, do you ever jump in to give advice or is it about trying to lead that person to the conclusion themselves? Um, so yeah, how does that work with the pressure is that sometimes good and then can you jump in and try to steer people in a certain direction if you feel it would be helpful
3: Jamie, they, they are magnificent questions. I'm just going to answer the, the last one really quickly before I forget what I was going to say and hand over to the other other guys. Um, mm. In terms of advice giving, so I remember reading that uh, Insu Kinberg you know, said that there is a, an ethical responsibility at some points where if you if you absolutely know something that will definitely help that person, you have an ethical responsibility to share it. At the same time, be so, so, so careful with that, so careful. And I'll give a recent example of a, a telephone session I was delivering where I threw in, this This person was telling me about how they were managing to get to go running every day, uh, they were managing to make sure they went to bed at the right time, and they were managing to eat healthily, okay? That's the sort of stuff they're telling me. And I put in this, what I thought was a throwaway comment at the time, Something along the lines of, well, that's great because, you know, we all know that the foundations of good mental health are exercise, rest, and a good diet. Yeah, Just the sort of throwaway thing that I thought was completely harmless. And then two weeks later, I'm having another session with the same lad, and he starts to share with me that he's struggling with um, obsessive compulsions over food. He's so concerned about eating healthily. He's so concerned about getting it right that it's become obsessive and it's really harmful to him. And all of a sudden I had this horrible realization of, well, that really wasn't my place to tell him that Mm. healthy healthy eating was a priority. Maybe for this person, what the best thing for him was, was to go and eat a massive slice of cake, (laughs) you know, and we have to be so, so careful about giving advice because we are not the experts on that person's life they are and you know we could spend years and years studying that person and we would still not be an expert on their lives in the way that they are so that's my little caveat we mm. be so careful about giving advice Yeah.
1: And uh, building on that, I think it's very similar with pressure. For instance, uh, when I work with groups and we have certain contexts of working with groups, which would include theories of pressure and how learning happens. So we'd be encouraged as trainers and group facilitators to push people out of their comfort zones. I'm sure many of you have heard this, that learning happens outside of your comfort zone. and. I'm not saying that this is not true, don't want to argue with the theory. It could be, but when to do it and how on behalf of knowing better about the certain person or a certain group could be very, very dangerous because you would never know when your actions are going to push someone over. Um, And on the other hand, you know, pressure, when is it not happening? Maybe we're just so good at dealing with it.
0: So there's, there's a pressure there anyway? Is, that, is I that what think you're saying, it regardless, is. Regardless of whether you push it or not?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, if, if we think about walking, we all learned how to walk, uh, some better than others. Uh, and no, uh, m- most ad- adults don't think about walking, yet it is a very, very complex skill that we just do normally. But we had to learn, and there is always a chance that we'd trip over, but we don't.
2: Hmm. So
0: we're just yeah, so yeah. good
1: at it.
2: And I think, for me, it kind of linking to... I suppose I'll answer the second one first around what ben was saying totally agree with that and i think the times where i have found myself putting things out there i almost check in first to say would you be happy for me to share some things that have worked for some other people but i, mm. I, I put the caveat in that you know feel free to if it's useful reuse it and run with it if it's not stick it in the bin kind of thing mm. and it's just mm-hmm. a these are some things that other people have tried, that other people have found useful. Um, but again, normally I, I stay away from it unless I'm kind of, yeah, people are asking repeatedly, repeatedly for it. Or mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like there's a resource out there someone could, could benefit from. So like if someone's struggling yeah. financially, being able to say, have you thought about like the Citizens Advice Bureau? You know, there are organizations like that out there that, that could be of use to you just so that you're mm-hmm. aware, but not making that the the foundation or the essence of of the intervention is just kind of a, this is something that might be of use to you. I'm not going to check up on you to see if you've used it or not.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can tell me whether this was, you can tell me whether this was a terrible thing for me to have said in the past. Um, but I remember trying to shift the language a little bit when I was working with people, not within the solution focused approach at all. It was within a very, very different thing, but even then it, I was very, Intentional about trying to use the words experiment rather than uh, like a test or a challenge, because tests and challenges you can fail, but experiment you can't really fail in experiment. So we found that whenever I was working with someone that we, we I was trying to get them to do something or think about something, it was like, I wonder what would happen if we if we tried this uh, as an experiment rather than like a challenge or a task felt a bit different. And that might just be like we're talking
2: earlier on the importance of using language differently. Um, yeah. yeah. I think for me, the thing that stands out is more kind of the, the mindset you, you were, you probably were coming from in that standpoint mm-hmm. of like, this is something I need to get them to do or get them to, mm-hmm. to see or to think about differently. Yeah. Um, I think experiment. Yeah probably isn't such a bad word but that that different place of i need yeah. to get them to try something mm-hmm. whether whereas i think we would be thinking more around yeah what might you notice yourself doing <clears throat> might you notice yourself trying
0: yeah i mean I, I guess that, i'm trying to think that there'd be people that are still that are in the other that use other tools and other yeah. backgrounds and all that kind of stuff instead of trying to get them to jump immediately into a whole new yeah way of thinking There perhaps a the little things that they could do within their own Approach that could just subtly change the, pr- the amount of pressure slightly,
2: mm.
0: Mm. Um, and of just being the, really careful about the way you phrase things could be an important part of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And the sort of um, the heart behind you know, using something like experiment, um, you know, rather than a a test or a goal, is that it's it takes away that sort of risk of failure. Yeah. So, so if you set someone a goal then they might you know fail to achieve that goal. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're talking about experimenting with stuff, then it's, it's looser and they may go and try it or may not. And, and yeah. that's the bit that, that overlaps. you know um, solution focused is again about um, inviting people to explore possibilities that they may or may not go away and, and try. Hmm. um it's very different to sort of smart goals which is you know, quite another popular way of working um the, the downsides to the sort smart goals is um i don't know so let's let's say you're working with a uh, a single mum who's um, you know got school pastoral staff and social workers involved because not being able to get the kids to school on time for ages um she might be set a smart goal to get to get the kids to bed an hour earlier yeah um and a few weeks later you find that you know lo and behold she she has managed to start getting the kids into school a bit earlier but you go to a review meeting and you, and you review your smart goal and you say right did you manage to get them to bed an hour earlier she might say you well, want no no i didn't i've really struggled with that she might have done something different she might have change something in the morning, the trip to school, change something with breakfast, who knows. But because it's tied into this SMART goal, it comes up as a, a red cross on the, uh, you know, on the review sheet, on the review paperwork. And when I've raised this point with practitioners, professionals who are used to using SMART goals and that's their go-to tool, th- their answer to me would be, um, well, if that's the case, then the SMART goal isn't good enough. It needs to be smarter. It needs to be more tailored. It needs to be more accurate, um, but that just feels so. That feels like there's so much pressure to that, both on the practitioner to get it absolutely <laughs> yeah. right, and yeah. on and on the client to know exactly what they're doing. Uh, and for me, you know, I suppose this is a preference thing. But for me, I much prefer working in that realm of, as you say, Jamie, experimenting uh, with possibilities and ways forward. Um, yeah. yeah. So inviting description of loads of different possibilities and then trusting that um, the client, the family, the young person, you know, will find the best way forward for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I might be jumping back ever so slightly here, but I know that one of the foundational assumptions that you have is that the client has all the skills and resources to be able to make the change happen. Um, You're all looking at me blankly as I've made Mm. that up. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, good. Um just curious to see where you're taking this, Jamie. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, we'd just would be I, quiet now, I'll let you go. Yeah.
0: I just wonder whether there'd be people listening here to this that would perhaps disagree with that fundamental assumption that there are people that are coming to you because they can't cope and they don't know what to do. So I guess this is tying in with the leaving it to the person, the pressure's off of you as a clinician, it's down to the person, they know what they need to do. Do you would you say that that is always the case that the person you're working with has the skills and resources um, or is there ever a time when actually they simply don't um,
2: and they do need you to help them I think it's probably dangerous to say always I think there's there's that idea of, of pressure and, and kind of for me it's bringing to mind things around like thresholds of risk and safeguarding more than anything else um, so if if, it, if there's time and space where I can I can work with someone so that they can work on things then then yes I think they can they can get there they can use the, the skills and abilities they have to get to where they need to be or where they want to be I think if it's a matter where someone's talking about kind of yeah taking their own life and being really down then that's going to be you know or if there's a child protection concern then that's going to be something where if it's not the change can not happen in a, in a timely way that's you know the impact of that's going to be harmful to someone else then i think i would i would step in sooner well I, I know i definitely would step in but i suppose there's that bit of the pressure i don't know if this is really answering your question but the pressure i think is is there and i think people have that that ability because i mean if they're coming to see us or seeking out support or engaging with support then i think it's just about maintaining that perspective more than anything else about what are the things you're doing so i suppose it links to what ben was saying earlier about that notion of if we're looking at smart goal a over here we might be missing x y and z over here that is working and i think it's that bit around asking those questions to, to really look at what are what are you good at what are you capable of doing what are the things you have been doing what skills and resources do you have and how have you been Putting those into practice, because I think it's it would be quite easy to be to be worried or concerned and say they don't they don't have them they don't have them, mm. and it, I suppose it's that idea of just trusting the person you're speaking with where it's where it's safe enough to do it.
3: Okay, I, I think it's a question of order actually. I think it's a question of the order in which we work. So I, I agree with Greg. You know I, I think it's more of a pragmatic stance you know, to say that people have got the skills and resources, abilities to move forward. Um, And, you know, I would say that there are uh, exceptions and occasions where people do need more, you know, directive intervention. But I think it's about the order that we work in. And what you will see in most, you know, uh, professional um, settings is that people immediately start working from the more sort of directive models of how can we help you? How can mm. we fill the deficit that you've got? You know, how can we um, help you to um, achieve the strategies and the skills that you need to move forward? Where a solution focused starts from this perspective of actually uh, they're coming to us so that we can help them get in touch with the skills and resources and abilities that they already have, yeah. And I think it's easier to, to, it's easier to work that way around so to start by helping someone get in touch with their own skills and resources and then later down the line if things aren't improving in a way that they'd hoped for then you can move to more uh, directive approaches and you know advice giving strategies etc if that's if that's what they want i think it's very hard to work the other way around you know to go in all mm. guns blazing with his strategies his advice here's what you should do and then if that doesn't work go back to an approach yeah. where you're helping people figure it out themselves. So I think it's about the order that we work in. Um, and also, I think there's, again, we've spoken loads about assumptions. Um, there, is, there is a wonderful book on solution-focused and autism. Um, and the, the big point that they hammer home here is that um, you know, for, for people who are diagnosed with autism, even more so than, uh, than others, the sort of their voice and their expertise is taken away So Mm -hmm. people, when someone receives a diagnosis of autism, the assumption from the professionals around them is, right, they can't cope on their own, and they can't do this, and what happens is experts come in, and they start offering specific strategies, they start giving guidance to the school of this is what you need to do, and actually the voice of the young person is is lost, increasingly lost, and the expertise is removed from them. Um, And this, you know, book is absolutely advocating that, look, before you do anything else, look for and elicit the resources and the strengths and the abilities that that young person, that that individual already has. And in a lot of cases, a lot of cases, that will be enough for them to find a way forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's just something that came to mind as, as you were talking, Ben, around that idea of kind of giving advice or kind of direction and things kind of support and things like that i think it's so tricky once you, you step into that role because then people will expect that of you whereas <laughs> i think that if, if we're sticking with the sf approach then it, people expect that they expect those questions they expect to think and they expect to think more about what it is that, that they want and that's already working so i think that's from my standpoint wherever possible i try and probably work more with the the groups and organizations around me and and working with people to then say this is this is my bit i've got the questions i've got the sf bit if if you're looking for the tangible sort of things i can give you a couple of things but that person's got to be be the best to speak to because otherwise it confuses the heck out of me and probably the person i'm talking with <laughs> okay so i mean there's so much more there
0: that we could talk about uh, and thankfully we're going to have lots of episodes to kind of dive into some of this stuff in more detail so um, but I guess in summary let me see if I can summarise and you can tell me I've made an absolute hash of it what we're, what we're saying is don't assume effectively especially when it comes down to the, the corona stuff don't assume how people have felt about it, the position they're in what their hopes are ask the questions and figure it out don't just assume you know what you're doing is that fair, as a summary? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Think so. yeah, yeah. I You think never so. make
3: a hash of it, Jamie. Perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a possibility.
1: And of course, you know, if people want to join um, us live, when we do have those conversations in person, online, uh, go to our webpage, www.sfpossibilities.org and look for the events and on us hope to see you there
0: great well guys thanks again very, very much enjoy night. the rest oh, of your you bank holiday weekend and hopefully relatively soon we'll be able to actually see each other in person again be nice just crossed absolutely rather than relying on the wonderful internet connection that we seem to have when uh, we, when, uh, we <laughs> <laughs> when we get together online cool alright so thanks everyone for listening to our second episode and we'll see you again
3: soon. See you later. Thank you. Take care.
0: So thank you once again for listening to our podcast. We would love it if you could subscribe or leave a review. It really helps with our visibility and get our name out there a bit more. And remember, if you want to know more about us, some of the training that we offer or some of the upcoming events, then check us out at solutionfocuspossibilities.org.